If you decide to embark on the graduate studies journey, you may find yourself telling stories. Stories about ideas, stories about science, stories about stories. You'll focus and research until late hours of the night to find that piece of information, to fill that gap in the narrative. You will crumple a whole chapter that isn't working and restart from scratch. And one day, you'll have in your hand the final version, and you will share it with the world, placing one more tile in the ever-growing mural that is scientific knowledge. This week, we'll be hearing from Kirsten Sanford, whose central passion in life is to take this constantly evolving patchwork of questions, results and publications and make it understandable to an audience as vast as possible. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. So today we're talking with Dr. Kiki Sanford. Dr. Kiki is a science communicator with over 15 years of experience in media, science journalism, and informal science education. She received a bachelor's degree in wildlife, fisheries, and conservation biology, and a PhD in neurophysiology from UC Davis before transitioning into a career focused on translating scientific research to various audiences and helping scientists in their communication efforts. In 2015, Dr. Kiki founded Broader Impacts Productions, a boutique production agency dedicated to science storytelling. Additionally, she founded, produces, and hosts the This Week in Science podcast, a weekly live show that covers a multitude of science topics in a talk show format and is also the VP of Public Relations for Science Talk, a nonprofit science communication organization. Welcome to the show, Kiki. Thank you for having me on your show. So can you tell us, uh, me and the listeners, a little bit more about yourself? How did you get into science and, uh, and how you came to do what you do today? Yeah, so uh, yeah, the, the introduction introduced all the things I kind of do, but I currently have, I feel like I've got a lot of pots that I'm constantly stirring where I've got, you know, my, my podcast production pot and I'm, I'm figuring out stories I want to talk about people I want to interview for, for that endeavor. And then I have my production company where I'm creating videos for scientists and writing scripts, doing, um, doing podcasts for other people. Uh, so that's doing the work, the actual practice of science communication. And beyond that is working for Science Talk and trying to help bring the growing community of science communicators together. So all of it together um, really speaks to my passion for science communication, which I realized I had while I was in graduate school. And that graduate school to me, you know, I loved doing science. I studied bird brains. It was really interesting work and I loved doing it. But during the process, there, it was full of realizations for me about what my, where my real passion lay. And yeah, this is where I am today. Okay, so, so you got into grad school. Uh, science per se uh, was something that, that, that was a passion, I guess, that, that came from, from before. What turned you on to science in the first place? Ah, so when I was young, I, I think 
it's just a combination of a bunch of things. I grew up out in the country. My house, my parents' house was in the middle of a hundred acres of farmland. And we raised chickens and my youth consisted of running through the fields, chasing the dogs as they chased the voles, as (laughs) (laughs) my mom yelling at me in the summertime to come inside because the airplanes were going to be flying over with spraying the insecticide over, over the fields. So there were all these little things that came together to really give me an appreciation for the natural world. And so biology was uh, the the area of my interest. And then along the way, my dad was always very, uh, I guess in the way that he taught me and mentored me as as a parent was to be curious, to ask questions, to be able to support my opinions with evidence. So he was he had a very scientific way of thinking and he helped me develop that as well and then I just had a number of really wonderful teachers you know like in high school when you're in the frog lab and the teacher allows you to pop the frog, frog eyeballs out and, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and dissect them I guess yeah dissect them and and look deep look more deeply and and there were, so there was a lot of that in in my childhood and then you know uh, I grew up with three television channels. There was no cable when I grew up. And it, all there was to watch on TV was maybe uh, Electric Company and Sesame Street and the nature programs on the PBS station. That was that was it. Wow. Yeah. So it seems like you had a, you know, you were born almost to be a naturalist. Like you were in nature. You had your father that inspired you to think critically about things. Uh, and, and clearly the path seemed to to flow naturally from there. And so you mentioned that during your PhD, you, you, you caught this virus of science communication. <laughs> was there a moment? Was there an event? How did that come up? Where, where did you get this, uh, this bug? I think I always had a bug for communication. Uh, so in addition to, like, to the, the, the natural world interest, I was always doing drama I was always, I was in choir, I was in band, I was always in a performative, uh, a performative way at, in various ways. And uh, so that was always in me. And then I did a, um, a radio show when I was an undergraduate in school. And the show was just a radio show, music show, not science communication, just music. But it was really in graduate school, not my undergrad. It was graduate school when I, you know, started doing more uh, presentations of my work, started talking with people about my science, going to conferences, and then also TAing classes and, you know, that, that transfer of information and working with people to help them understand ideas. It started to all come together. And there was a point in graduate school where I was hanging out with my friends. We were drinking beer and talking about science and all these cool things in the news. And we were like, we should be on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, I know the the program manager down at the radio station on campus. I'll go talk to him. so I went down to the radio station and instead of proposing a music program, I proposed a science program. 
Awesome. <laughs> and they said yes. <laughs> and they said yes. Wow. And that was the beginning of all of this. <laughs> okay. And, and okay. So you had a calling, you found uh, an open door or op an open window and you dove in. I took it. Yeah. And so I guess at that point, I guess that's where the love of the media, this type of media per se, grew more. But uh, how did you marry that with, you know, keeping focused, finishing your your degree and uh, and becoming Dr. Kiki? I felt like I was living a double life for a while. Honestly, I would spend half of my time on the radio show and half of my time on graduate school studies, you know, and even though they're both, they were both about science, the radio show was broad. So I was looking at astrophysics and chemistry and biology, neuroscience, environmental science, you know, all the sciences was what stories are interesting and how can I tell the story and how can we talk about it? And my graduate studies were so narrow. Yes. <laughs> They, you know, it's that narrowing in on that one question. And here I was, you know, for hours a day looking at learning and memory in the hippocampus of birds. And how does the hippocampus of birds change with respect to experience? How do they, how do they learn and remember things? How do they store that information? And then you know, I'm exploring the universe in my other, <laughs> my other job. And I loved it. I really loved it. But I did, I, like, I did feel like I was stretching a bit. Um, thank goodness my advisors were always very supportive. As long as I was getting my work done in the lab and, you know, getting, making progress in my research, then what I did in my spare time, that was mine. And, I, and my advisors were always very good about allowing me to schedule my life the way I needed to schedule my life. Okay. You know, make it to the lab meetings, get your research done. <laughs> That's right. So you didn't get any pushback from, from them. No, I, I didn't. But it came to a head in the second year of my, uh, my studies. I finished my qualifying exams. And after the qualifying exams, um, my advisor came to me and she was originally from England and she, we had a, a meeting and I thought we were going to talk about, you know, my research and what we're moving forward, what I'm going to do, grants we're going to apply for, all that kind of stuff. But instead she says, I've taken a job in Cambridge and I'm not bringing anyone from the lab with me. Ouch. Yeah. And in that conversation, she told me that she always thought I would be much better off as a master's student. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, it was this moment of absolute devastation. I felt betrayed. I felt the rug pulled out from under me and I didn't know what to do. Here I was, you know, starting, I'd finished all my coursework. I was PhD, ABD, right? All but dissertation and I'm losing my lab. So I had, I had no animals. I, you know, I had no support and what was I going to do? Uh, so I left and I took a year-long leave of absence. I was at UC Davis at the time. I, I went to San Francisco. I got an apartment. I uh, got a job temping. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I would 
which led to a really cool position at the University of California, San Francisco. Um, initially, I worked as a temp in the School of Pharm- Pharmacy, but then through that, I worked, I, I got a job working in a neuropsychopharmacology lab, which did human drug studies on a research floor uh, at the UCSF hospital. And so that was this little sideline that was interesting and amazing. But in the process, I left the radio show behind. Okay. Because I left you Davis. There. Mm. I wasn't there. A couple of my friends took up the mantle and kept the show going. So the show was still going. And for a while, I was calling in on the phone to the radio station. You know, back then it was, we didn't have things like Zoom and yeah. Skype. And <laughs> so I had to call from a landline, call into the show. <laughs> uh, and, and it, you know, it was good, but the people in the, uh, the neuropsych lab, they were fantastic. They kept the, the, the advisor for the lab kept going, what are you doing? <laughs> when are you going to finish your PhD? What's going on? And he kept like every few, every month or so, he'd poke me and I, I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm doing your research. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but I, I did really come to realize that the thing that I missed most, because I was still doing research and it was an interesting space. The thing that I missed most, though, was talking about the science. The thing I missed most was doing the radio show. And so when I actually came to that realization, I um, went back to UC Davis. I went back to other professors who I knew um, and started talking with them about, would you, would you be my PI? <laughs> I felt like that Dr. Seuss book, Are You My Mother? <laughs> um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so I, so um, a couple of researchers did take me on as uh, their grad student and they co-advised me, which was fantastic. And they gave me space and animals and I, you know, had to shift the studies that I was doing to fit the animals that I then had because it was, it was all dependent on what was available. But they knew when I came back, I said, I'm not going to be a professor. I'm not going the academic track. I want to come back to get my degree so I have credibility when I leave science and tell people about what happens in that world. Excellent. So that kind of sabbatical year, let's say, let's call it a sabbatical that you took in the middle. Sabbatical. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was a moment of of really figuring out why you were doing things and what you really loved, and it it probably was a defining moment for you. uh, That 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 period of okay, I'm lost. What is it really that I love to do? And you know, actually, that I really love that. And this objective, I'm going to take it to the end. I'm going to finish my PhD. That's that's awesome. I, I guess that may be useful for for a lot of people out there that maybe just went through the moves of okay, I finished uh, my undergrad. Okay, now I'm going to grad school, and some some somehow things are not, you know, uh, things aren't lining up or things aren't working out exactly. You don't. I mean, I will say I, that period of time was very hard because I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm a I'm pretty I'm pretty type A. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do things and I want to get them done. Um, 
and you know it's it feels really good to be completing things and to ha- not be working on something specific was very difficult um but like but like like you've picked up it was a very important time and i think i did need to go through it um and maybe i maybe i would have gotten here eventually mm-hmm. maybe not I mean, I was doing the communication stuff to begin with, but maybe I wouldn't have figured it out in the same way. Maybe I would have, I, I, I mean, things would have happened very differently if, if my PI had stayed and I mean, things would have happened very differently. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, things, things happen for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel that, I feel that after that you took, you know, the projects that, that you took on, you took them with much more grit and, and, and determination. So I've heard of people who do it before. They take a, a post back here, they call it, where, where they can go intern in, in the lab to see what research life is like. Yeah. And then they can see if it's a fit or not. Uh, I've heard people who have actually had this kind of a similar experience with you, but a very bad fit with the lab that they got in first and then switched. Mm-hmm. So nothing is set in stone. And, and that's important for people out there to know. You know, you, you, you're not, you can always reassess and, and find the path that, that's the healthiest and the the most fulfilling to you. And, and your example is a very, very good one. Thanks. Now, eventually, so you realized that the academic route was not the one you were going to follow, but you wanted to complete your PhD. You were determined to do it and, and you did that work. Uh, you probably found these two co-supervisors that, you know, they, they were a match for you. And they, the fact of it being two must be a special dynamic too. Yeah, I mean, the two PIs were very closely associated already. So it wasn't, you know, like two completely different families that I was a part of. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it was like one big, big, big family. <laughs> big family. Um, yeah, they were, and, and they were wonderful. And I think one of the things that really set them apart is that they were young uh, investigators. They were really within the first five to 10 years of their, their own careers, post, postdoc. And, um, and, and so they knew the challenges facing the modern day PhD student. They acknowledged that there are not many jobs. They acknowledged that there are funding challenges. They acknowledged all of these things and were actually very, very supportive of my goal to use it as a stepping stone to do something else, which I, it wouldn't have worked if they you know, if they had been like, science communication, what's that? You need to be a professor. The academic track is the only thing there is, publish or perish. Um, if they had been as focused on that, it it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And so at this juncture, you pick up a new subject. Uh, you know, there's, you have these two like scientific mentors that, that are, you know, leading you to towards your PhD. Did you get back on a, on the radio show immediately and uh, did you have other resources that that you used or or uh, skills that you started you know teaching yourself or learning absolutely um so i found a group of individuals on campus graduate students and postdocs who were also interested in science communication mostly science writing and we we started our own uh, graduate level seminar class that we scheduled and and created where we um, we practiced the craft of science writing for a popular audience. That's very cool. 
Yeah. So each week there would be an assignment based on a, an article or journal article of some kind or, uh, you know, some, some sort of writing. And then we would have to come back the next week and have written an article and, of our own interpretation. And then we would all critique each other's articles. And so we, uh, we basically, there was this small group, and I, honestly, I don't remember how I found it. <laughs> but I, I, I was like, this is what I'm doing now. So I was searching for things, and I, was, I luckily found that small community of people. And so we all supported each other in that popular writing side of things. And then I did start immediately back to the radio show. It was as soon as I was back in town. <laughs> okay. I'm back on I'm this. Back. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, I also applied to the AAAS Mass Media Science and Tech uh, Science and Engineering Fellowship. I think it's okay. And this is a fellowship that is um, organized by AAAS, so American Association for Advancement of Science. It accepts grad students and postdocs. And the idea is that you are embedded in the office of a media company for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, during those 10 weeks, if you're at a newspaper, you learn, you jump in and learn the craft of writing newspaper articles. You are publishing, you are a reporter for that newspaper. Um, I was... I was situated at WNBC TV in New York City, and it was the most awesome experience. They realized that I was into the kind of um, audiovisual uh, media as opposed to newspapers, and they it was the perfect fit because I learned how to report television news, and I I worked with the evening news science and health reporter Max Gomez. And he was amazing because he, he was so much, there were so many similarities. He was a, a neuroscientist. He had gotten oh. <laughs> a, an MD, PhD. But so he had done neuroscience also and moved into communications, into the video realm. I still keep in touch with him. And he was, he's an amazing mentor. And I, I learned th- so much in those 10 weeks. And then uh, the producer I was working with, on that job, she quit. And I had come back home at the end of the 10 weeks and I got a call from Max and he said, "Uh, you know how to do Kathy's job. Will you be our interim producer for a couple of months while we look for somebody to hire? And so I went back to New York and was the producer for for the evening news. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about doors opening. Awesome. And so the, so you learned the ropes, you had a mentor. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's something that I like to talk. We'll talk about it a little bit later. The importance of, of mentors in different steps of our, of our life and of the transition to, to, uh, so important. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So that's really, really cool. Uh, and, and for sure for listeners out there, if, if this, if science communication is something that interests you try to look for this type of uh, internships and programs because what a you know stepping stone to work in this domain awesome yeah usually the uh registration period is around uh the fall to early uh, i think it usually closes in january so uh you might if this is going to go out soon it might be something people would look into now and then uh it would be uh, a summer a summer fellowship and you would, so if you were accepted you would do the mass media fellowship summer 2020. 
And it, and all the people I have ever met in that program, the other aspect of it is that I am still friends with people from my cohort. And it's this connector between me and other individuals in who have made this transition. And I know several other people specifically because they were mass media fellows too. And then when I go to AAAS conferences, I'm like, you were a mass media fellow and this year, I was that year. And we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's this, little, it's this little community of people and it, it's pretty cool. Excellent. So yeah, again, for anyone out there wanting to transition to the, and to, to take on this program, January, right? That's what you said. It's usually when the uh, when the applications are due. Yeah. Excellent. So this was already after you had defended and finished your PhD. This was before I had finished. So I was I'd come back after my sabbatical, mm-hmm. and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I had put in probably I, I put in probably another year worth of work into my research. And then I realized I was like, oh, this sounds like such a great opportunity. And so I convinced the uh, PIs I was working with that I should do this. <laughs> it was a great idea for them to let me do this. And they did. And so, uh, yeah, so the, the next year consisted a lot of this media fellowship and then taking the producer job. And so it was almost like, a, almost like another sabbatical yeah. because I I had to I had to defer these other you know a couple more semesters of school uh, for these for these things, but I was learning so much it was really important. And then when I was done with the fellowship and producery stuff, I came back, and that's when I sat down. I finished up my studies, and then I sat down and I wrote for three months solid and got it done. Wow, excellent! And yeah. and uh, so I guess. For you, the the morning aspect, let's say, let's say it like that, of I'm not going to follow up, you know, the academic route had been done before. At this at this point, you knew very well what you wanted to do. You actually now had the tools to do what you wanted to do. So writing has its challenges, but you uh, took it on with a, a purpose. And I guess that must have made it easier in a way. You know, you had some uh, security uh, already yeah. because you knew what was coming after. Yeah, I had excitement about what was coming after. It was, I need to get this done now because I want to go do these things. Yeah, and you know, something that they don't they don't give you this handbook or, you know, I mean, they're like, here's come to grad school, you know, be in a lab, do research. And then, you know, along the way you just kind of figure things out. But there's nobody telling you exactly how things are supposed to be. And sometimes you don't know the questions to ask. And I just remember being very confused because I was convinced. I was like, okay, I have to write three chapters, my intro, my outro, and three research chapters. And so those have to be three separate studies. And that has, you know, and I I had it in my head that it had to be this particular format. And then I I was talking to my advisor about one of my advisors, but he just looked at me. He's like, this is your dissertation. You can write whatever you want. And I just, I remember going, what? <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> but once I figured that out, I, cause I was like, how am I going? To, I didn't have enough studies to do three research chapters. I didn't have that. And, but I had done a lot of research and I had, you know, done this stuff. And he was like, look, if you want to be done, be done. And you don't need to do three chapters. I was like, no, I need to do these chapters. And I said, what about a chapter that's a 
in the written in the style of a popular science article that talks about some subject. He was like, sure, do it. <laughs> and, so, and so that was one of my chapters. Cool. So yeah. popularizing your research. My research, yeah. Excellent. Well, that, that's, that's very cool. And again, the thing that, that I think is super helpful in what you're saying is that it's putting it out, out there that there's not a single way to do this. Of course, many things depend on your relationship with your supervisor, their style, et cetera, et cetera. But in the big picture, there's no like set form. You, you, can, you can take breaks uh, and uh, even you can write the, the chapters you know, in a way that, that I wouldn't say a, a comic book, maybe not, but... Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, you know, in, yeah. infographics now are super, you know, super uh, on vogue. So who knows? And this closes the chapter of graduate school, I, I think, right? For you. Yeah, I finished, I finished that dissertation and ran with it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and this brings us to today. We'll, we'll take a little break. And after the break, we'll see what happened after. Before going on with the interview, I want to thank you for listening to the show. If you like an episode and feel that it's helped you or inspired you in any way, share it with your friends. Maybe it will inspire them too. And be sure to follow Papa PhD on Facebook and Twitter and to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Happy listening and happy sharing. So this brings us to today. You've been hosting Twist This Week in Science now since 1999, uh, a weekly show where you and your co-hosts digest and discuss current scientific news in a fun but still serious way in all domains of science. So um, what steps brought you from your PhD to Twist to, to This Week in Science? What happened in the, in the following years? After my PhD, I, so I, I finished and I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing now. I'm going to be a science communicator. I'm going to try and re, and this is before science communicator was really even a term a thing, or yeah. a word. It was, it was like this nascent idea. People were starting to use it, but it wasn't really adopted yet. I remember going, what am I? Who am I? <laughs> How do I describe myself to people? And yeah. Thank goodness Science Communicator has, uh, has, has grabbed a hold. But um, what I started doing is I uh, started going to conferences and networking and trying to meet a larger community of people doing a similar thing. So podcasting. I, I was no longer going to the science conferences, the research conferences so much. I started going to the podcasting conferences. And doing the podcasting conferences, I started meeting a whole bunch of people in that field. And again, with mentors being so important, um, I met a, a, a guy named Alex Lindsay. And he worked, with, he worked on a podcast called This Week in Tech. And so I was, at this, I was at this podcasting conference and I saw his name tag with his podcast name. And I went up to him and I said, hey, you're This Week in Tech? I'm this week in science. <laughs> and he said, hey, and we started talking and that led to um, a collaboration doing a video program. And this is right at the beginning of iTunes starting to offer 
video podcasts. It wasn't even, YouTube wasn't even a huge deal yet. And we did a series called Food Science and I, we created 14 videos related to various aspects of food science. It was super fun. Uh, and along that way, I, that was again getting to use my you know, my video production skills. I was writing scripts. I was doing the hosting. So I learned how to do more on-camera work through that. And in that effort, he introduced me to the host of and the founder of This Week in Tech, Leo Laporte. And Leo Laporte then, this is kind of step-by-step, Leo Laporte said, hey, do you want to come do some stuff with Twit? And said, hey, that'd be great. And so I started doing some work with This Week in Tech, um, commentating on certain things, doing a little bit more tech reporting instead of specifically science. And and then the, what were we doing? We were, so Twist was a podcast. We were still at KDVS doing the radio show. That's it. So, but I, because I had finished, I was, I moved back to San Francisco. I was no longer, I, so I kind of bounced back and forth between Davis and San Francisco. And I was like, okay, we got to keep twists going. The podcast format is amazing. I love live radio. I love live. How can we keep that happening? And so because I had met Leo, he was doing live streaming on his Twit video network. And I asked him if we could use his network to broadcast This Week in Science. And so that's, we made the move from live on KDVS Davis to live on Twit. And we became a video stream, a live video program. And I'd take the audio and then I would send the audio to KDVS and I would put the audio up as a podcast. And so we started distributing in these different ways. Um, You know, I kept working on different video shows. I ended up working with a video network called Revision 3, which later was bought by uh, Discovery. And then uh, D News became the program. And now it's now known as Seeker. Um, If you know the Seeker channel on YouTube, Um, but that's kind of, I was working with them doing video stuff and then, and expanded my work on the Twit Network, and I started doing an interview program called Dr. Kiki's Science Hour, which I did uh, about a, a hundred episodes, just over a hundred episodes, I believe. Okay. Uh, yeah, and Twist was going the whole time. And then at a certain point, um, Twit was expanding, but then they decided they really needed to... Uh, they needed to pare themselves down. And so they got rid of all third party produced programs, which meant twists had to find a new home. We had to find a new platform. Google Hangouts was just becoming a thing. So we took advantage of Google Hangouts and started broadcasting twists to YouTube live. Yeah. And and then this summer, Google Hangouts went away and we found a new platform. And now we are, we are using a platform called uh, StreamYard to broadcast to YouTube. Uh, but we have visions now of expanding to Twitch. Um, and I'm 
we, we are trying to develop the funding model to be able to expand the number of programs that we offer. And that's, um, that's where I am right now because I want to go back to doing more interview shows. I want to do my, my eight-year-old son is getting interested in doing science science programs. He's oh, like, wow. mommy, we could talk about science. We could have a, <laughs> can we do a daytime twist so I can be on the show? That's so cute. Um, you know, yeah. So it might be fun to do a kid's version, right? A, you know, a science program for kids. Um, you know, so now I'm looking outward at doing more, more production myself. Um, and expanding twists, but twists just did our 740th estimated podcast episode. I mean, yeah, in term that's estimating that we started officially podcasting on iTunes in 2005 <laughs> and basing it on about 50 episodes a year. And <laughs> that's our, that's our esti- estimate of about where we are, where we can hit, you know, 800 next year. Uh, yeah. And we're super excited about that. But I mean, in reality, we've been like, you know, pretty much nonstop since 99, 2000. So we, yeah, we are- no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's huge. <laughs> and like now you've, you know, you've, you're telling me your story and I'm just, you know, starting to, to get this, this picture of how much you've had to learn in this, you know, in this domain of producing content, of uh, dealing with uh, distribution platforms. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you self-taught in all of this? Were there, like, apart from the AAS, uh, um, the Mass Media Fellowship, apart from that, were there, was there other training that you, you felt was necessary that you, you know, that you get to be able to, to step it up in, t- in terms of, uh, of, the, of, you know, taking grasp of these technologies? Or how, how did you go about getting with uh, so, yeah so all of it i am self-taught i've paid attention to people so all of the editors i've ever worked with i i watched them as they were editing i paid attention to what they were doing and asked questions as we were setting up cameras and lights to do the shoot even though i wasn't the camera person or the lighting person or the sound person, I paid attention and I asked questions. Every time I've done something, I try to be involved and engaged in what I'm doing and not just, I've, I've really tried to not just be focused on my one little part of a project, but to pay attention to how it fits in with the other aspects of the project as a, as a whole. Um, and so in doing that now, you know, I'm not the best editor, but I, you know, I have been editing my own audio for years. I, I edit video now. I, uh, you know, I, I do that. I, um, you know, I can work as the production tech. I can set up the sound and do, you know, do a good, I can make a recording. I can be a, you know, a single individual going out, recording an interview, come back, edit it and put out a final product. I taught myself how to do that. The things that I have also taught myself how to do, which I think I gained more experience in as a graduate student, are the um, business management okay. aspects. Um, because you, I mean, I'm still terrible at time management. Mm-hmm. I am a scatterbrain, and I always, I've always been. I, you know, I unfortunately am one of those people who I work great under pressure, and 
it would be better if I could organize myself better because then I wouldn't be like a little ball of nerves all the time. <laughs> um, but I do think that a lot of uh, how I've been able to organize what I do organize is the skills that I learned while I was in graduate school in starting a project, finishing a project, writing it up, you know, all the project management skills that go so unacknowledged. Yeah, that's one of the big things that I, I like to try and, and um, dispel one of the myths about doing a PhD is that if you don't fall into academia, then you will have lost that time because you didn't develop real world skills, let's say. And it's totally not true. And and I'm I'm super happy that you're mentioning that because uh, it's not everyone that can, you know, hop onto a three-year, five-year, seven-year project, you know, without sweating it and taking it to its last stage and defending and, and concluding it and presenting it. So definitely, the, I, I, I agree uh, 200%. <laughs> And I think, you know, the other really um, unacknowledged skill is, uh, you know, like I'm like, I was able to pick things up and still try to pick new things up, even though I have this like, oh, my God, this is another thing I have to learn. <gasps> this technology is, you know, because technology is always moving forward. Oh, I have to learn this new skill. I have to do this new thing. That is grad school. Mm -hmm. Every mm -hmm. time you want to add a new technique <laughs> to your studies to be able to ask a certain question, you learn something new. I mean, there, it is this mindset you learn while a student that you can always learn something. Yeah. And, and it's funny because this kind of loops back to what we were just talking about. And it, it worked for you being in studios and seeing seeing people uh, do things and asking them questions. But it'll work also in a, someone who gets into a, a new job in a company. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm a writer, but I want to become an editor. What do editors do? Let's talk with the editor. Definitely yeah. that that curiosity and the, the capacity to go dig and uh, and uh, educate yourself and, and you know, level up uh, and end up having the career that you wanted in the end. That's awesome. The other thing that I find is important for whoever is lucky enough to, to have them is mentors, like you were saying. People who guide you, who uh, sometimes champion you. And I was wondering, actually, whether in this, you know, you mentioned the person, uh, the TV station, uh, that, that was kind of a mentor in a way. Max Gomez. Yeah. Did you have other ones in, in your professional life? Uh, did you get any training or mentorship for voice, you know, your voice performance? Or is it something that came naturally also? Oh my gosh. When I go listen to my first episodes, I am so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I was so young and I sounded like it. <laughs> um yeah, so uh, for the the presentation, uh, I, Alex Lindsay, uh, who I worked with on my first uh, video online video projects, he was an amazing mentor in developing my presence. And uh, he, there were a, a few tips that he gave me that were just invaluable that I still go back to, and mm -hmm. where I'm like, oh yeah, okay, gotta warm it up, get myself into that I'm on camera mode. Um, and it's the same for being on a microphone and developing the voice. But for, for my voice, it was uh, much more listening and hearing how other people were presenting themselves, paying attention and 
trying to find that in myself. I I had taken, like I said, I did drama when I was younger. So I, I had, you know, some aspects of, you know, using your diaphragm and, you know, all that. But but when you're young, you talk like this and everything is a question or, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, yeah. It'd be pretty ridiculous if you talked like that as an adult, for sure. <laughs> right. And, it, you know, and it's everything changes with time and culture and, you know, how, what is appropriate and what works. But I really did find after listening that uh, listening and listening and listening that I needed to develop and change my voice and that I wanted to be perceived a particular way. And it wasn't that I'm going to be who I am and just never mind. It's I want to be perceived a particular way. And understanding that interaction between people was um, in, very important in making that next step to developing other aspects of that performance. Yeah. Did you get feedback from people at, at, the, certain, at the beginning or... Oh yeah. Um I got I mean back in the old days there wasn't Twitter or <laughs> yeah. It was e direct emails. People still email me. I love the email. Uh but uh, I would get emails. People are so critical <laughs> and it was terrible. You know, some people would write very wonderful emails. I love your show. It's fantastic, but then there would be the emails. Your voice is like yeah, like a oh like a cheese grater, and you know, <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> but I did. You know, I I had to take those with a certain grain of salt and say, okay, what am what do I sound like? And I, as so many people, they're like, oh my god, have you ever heard yourself? Of course, I've heard myself. I've spent hours listening to myself. I spent hours thinking that my voice sounded like, you know, <laughs> it sounded terrible and trying to figure out how I could, what I could do. And so, yeah. Excellent. Uh, and um, actually, one of the things I wanted to ask is, uh, surely you have a special relationship with the co-hosts of Twist, right? Absolutely. So how did the, the Twist team, like, how was it born and how did it get to, who, to what it is today? Justin started in 2004-2005 and he's he's been with the show ever since and he um has a wonderful interest in science never finished a degree in science and you know he was a, a vacuum cleaner salesman turned car salesman he's a salesman he knows how to talk and I've always loved having him on the show number 1 because he's a friend number 2 which is, I think, more important is he challenges people. He comes up with different perspectives that are not what, you know, people in science are going to think. He comes up with very unique perspectives that people don't like all the time, but I think that's fine. I, I'm not afraid of challenging people. And if Justin brings something up that you don't like, at least maybe you've thought about what you like or you don't like about something. It's made a, made a listener think. Um, you know, I think his his delivery style and his attitude is not for everyone. And some people may listen and go, "I can't listen to this podcast." <laughs> um, but uh, but the people who love the podcast 
appreciate Justin for who he is and what he has to say. Um, and then Blair came to the show. We've had a number, I had a number of interns over the and um, interns get, have gotten to sub, you know, be a part of the show and do content on the show uh, throughout its years. And I was in San Francisco and it was probably about 2011 or something like that. Blair remembers the exact year. I forget these things. Um, but I, 2010, 2011, and I needed an intern. I having my son and I was like, I need help. I can't do all this stuff. I need somebody to write show notes. I need these things taken care of. And here came this email from this zookeeper and we met at a coffee shop and the rest is history. And she's slowly, I was like, you're wonderful. And she went from intern to host in this seamless <laughs> transition. It was like she always she was always meant to be there. And I think the the thing that sets us apart from other science podcasts, people want to listen to our podcast because, you know, it's we it's it's like we're your friends having a conversation about science. We're talking about this thing, and it's because the three of us have a rapport have a, a friendship and get along in a particular way. Blair and Justin have certain things they always fight about, you know, it's, <laughs> and, the, and listeners, uh, you come to go, oh, oh, Justin said this, Blair's going to react and you just wait to, wait to see what's going to happen. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And the fact that the, the, the personalities are different and like you say that there's, there's like some, buttons that can be you know pressed uh, and that make the other one react i think it makes a great dynamic in the show in, for sure and that dynamic for me is what makes the show great and uh, and uh, the humor for sure the humor and the fact that you know and uh, i don't know i don't want to feel like i i'm uh, just uh, saying good things uh, you know you can say all the good things i'm happy with that <laughs> but the fact that it's not a show that's explaining you know from the top to whoever's listening downstairs. No, you're three people uh, with different backgrounds talking about science. And if you have a question that's a bit crazy about what was just said, you're going to ask it and then yeah. you're going to discuss. And that's that's what I think works and, and that makes the specific flavor of twist a good one to me at least. Thank you. I'm glad you like that because that's that's what I like about it. <laughs> I get to ask questions. We get to talk about things. Go, wait a minute. Why did they do that? Where is that going to go? What does this mean? Yeah, that's that's great, and, and uh, that's what what I think makes makes twist great. This type of, of dynamic, and uh, well, now I'm getting to to the end of the the interview. This was a lot of fun, uh, and at the end, I always want to ask the guests to kind of impart some knowledge and some advice to people who are out there who might say, "Hey, I want to do what she's doing one day." Uh, you know, I want to find you know my passion. And follow it. And yes, I'm, I'm now I'm in grad school. I know that I don't want to go, you know, the academic way or, or maybe I want to. And also I want to be a communicator. Who knows? You know? And uh, the idea uh, is just for you to, you know, share with the, the listeners two or three basic principles that they could follow starting today, be they in their graduate studies or just after, you know, wh what can they do to, to make their transition to a fulfilling active life on the job market or as a creator or as, a, or as an entrepreneur, the most uh, productive and, and um, 
the, the most healthy and the, and the most fulfilling uh, possible. So imposter syndrome is something that we are hearing a lot about these days. Uh, just know that if you are in graduate school, you have gotten there for a very good reason and you are a capable, intelligent human being. And, uh, you know, find other people that you can connect with. I think that is number one. Humans are social beings. And if we keep all these things to ourselves, it's, it's damaging in the end. And we need to be able to connect with other people about, about these thoughts of this, this thing, this thing we're attempting. You know, graduate school is a long, uh, it's, it's a long and arduous adventure. And you, you're not always going to feel like you're winning, right? It's not always winning. There's a lot of losing. There's a lot of failure and it makes you feel really bad and it makes you doubt yourself. Um, so find other people. I mean, if you don't have a great relationship with your PI, find other grad students, find other advisors, but you, you need to search for those people. Um, you know, sometimes they come to you, but you need to be willing to open your eyes and see them as a, as a possible connection. Um, when I was growing up, one of the books that uh, my family had was this, this book with, that's, that's called Take Tarts as Tarts Are Passing. That's a story of, uh, you know, three brothers, you know, it's this old folk tale, three brothers who go out into the world to find their fortunes and they are told take tarts while tarts is passing. And um, two of the brothers get it totally wrong and like steal things and you know, <laughs> they're not, they don't really understand the advice, but the, the advice really is pay attention to opportunities, pay attention to the world around you. So you see the opportunities and are able to act on them if it's something that you want. And I guess another piece of advice is don't be afraid to try. Try a new thing. It doesn't mean take a job, fully jump into it all the way. Try it. Take a taste, right? See if you like writing. See if you like doing podcasting. See if you like making videos. Take a class. Do a weekend workshop. Do, you know, find some little way to learn about the thing that you want to do. And find out if it really is what you like. Don't be afraid to try. I still struggle with all these things. I just want to be very clear. I'm, as I sit here and talk with you and I'm like, this is the, my life story. And look at how perfect this story it is. <laughs> you know, looking back, it's this path that I took. But on the way, it was... What do I choose? Which way am I going to go? It wasn't set out in front of me. I had to figure, I figured it out. And, you know, every once in a while, I still go, gosh, am I doing the right thing? Am I really doing the right thing? Am I making the right choices? Am I, have I done, uh, you know, and I, I still suffer from imposter syndrome occasionally. I still suffer from a fear of failure. I still have these anxieties and insecurities, but I have found people to talk to. I, when I'm really insecure, I realize I got to go, I got to get out of my basement. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go out into the world. I have found ways to work through 
these stumbling blocks so that I can continue to move forward. And so you can too. What a great way to finish the interview, uh, Dr. Kiki. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having accepted my, my invitation. Uh, I think this uh, is going to be inspiring for a lot of people out there. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for asking these questions. And, you know, even in the littlest bit, mm -hmm. I, hope that, I hope that people find something useful. I'm sure they will. Now, the last thing is, do you have any links, uh, you know, Twitter handles that you want to share? This would be the moment. Absolutely. So This Week in Science, you can find at twistwis.org. Our uh, Twitter handle is twistscience, T-W-I-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. -E. I am at Dr. Kiki, D-R-K-I-K-I -K -I on Twitter. I'm the Dr. Kiki on Instagram because somebody else took Dr. Kiki. So now I have to be... Yeah, uh, but This Week in Science, you can find, look for This Week in Science in podcasts, YouTube, all those places. Um, look for Dr. Kiki. You'll find me online if you're interested in more stuff I'm doing. And if you, um, you know, are looking for someone to help you make a video or do a podcast, let me know. Awesome. I'll share all of that info on the show notes, maybe even the Twitter handles of, the, of your co-hosts for sure. Oh, great. Yes. And people out there go watch or listen to twist it's weekly and it's uh, it's a lot of fun thank you thanks for listening to another episode of the papa phd podcast head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers i'll always be happy to share inspiring stories new ideas and useful resources here on the podcast so make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.